Hello and welcome to the Tai Chi Notebook podcast. My name is Graham Barlow and this is the place where I get to interview people worth listening to from the world of martial arts. My guest today is Jess O'Brien, author of the book Nature Chuan and co-host of the Nature Chuan podcast, which he runs with Isaac Kamins. Since 1999, Jess has studied extensively under BK Francis. Over the years, he's also trained with other preeminent internal martial artists like Lord Shu. He's been active in martial arts since his teens. As you'll discover, Jess likes to talk, so you won't find the usual intro to the podcast this time because we just hit the ground running and let the tapes roll. So here he is, Jess O'Brien. So I'm just going to use the audio of this. No worries, yeah. So um, I find it better to talk to people when I can see them. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, so it doesn't matter if you do rude hand <laughs> gestures or whatever, because right, it, right. it won't matter. <laughs> okay. I'm sure so, audio's best. That's my preferred. I like to listen to podcasts. I, you know, I don't really want to watch on YouTube. People talk usually. Yeah, I mean, also you can edit them much easier if it's just audio. Mm, that's true, huh? I, yeah. I can take out all the ums and ahs. And yeah, yeah. Get a nicer flowing conversation no, even though we sure. sound like idiots in real life you know right exactly make it sound good <laughs> yeah on our sound podcast, <laughs> my my buddy isaac and i have been doing our podcast and he he puts a lot of work into he's our editor you know so i do like sort of the research he does the editing so it's it's good to have a partner on it we've been having fun with it and he's uh he's yeah it's a pain in the ass man that's a lot of work to to get a podcast sounding proper you know yeah well tell me about this podcast because we've been doing it for about three years now haven't you yeah yeah no we've been chugging along we got third season yeah me and isaac have been doing it he's my you know good friend from back in the day and we both you know trained together with kumar francis so we we just decided to take his his book Ener- opening the energy gates which was a big yeah. influence on a lot of us you know 80s people and so i decided like i was like look why don't we just start with like the cover and then we'll go page by page through the whole thing and so that was fun because like we just use it to riff off and tell our you know our thoughts and we've always we always talk about internal martial arts together so we're like we've had these conversations for 10 years let's just like do it with the mic on and see mm. if anyone wants to listen along so that was fun we were able to just like i you know we end up repeating ourselves a lot just going page <laughs> by page like that but we still were able to it was just a nice way to draw in like different teachers that had influenced the set or you know our knowledge of the history of what was going on but also you know a lot of practice advice isaac especially trained a lot with kumar so he could give a lot of insights into that set and uh it's i mean it's a pretty cool set too so I, it was fun to just break it down on every possible level and we're like okay now we don't really need to talk about that one anymore we just i think we did like 36 episodes on one qigong set which you know might be slightly overkill but it was a lot of fun though yeah, I, I did a bit of research for this because I'm not really that familiar with Bruce Kumar Francis' uh-huh. yeah, uh, yeah. like system. Uh-huh. Uh, I've seen little clips of him for, for years. You know, sure, no, he's been, he's around, been around forever, forever right? Yeah, yeah, he's one of those early pioneers of the you know 60s and 70s going to the East. Is is the opening the energy gates the bit where you do the cloud hands? Yeah. Swings, and yeah, then yeah. You final just, it's got a little bit of everything. Yeah, so you do the standing to sort of get yourself structured and then you use the cloud hands to get the basic movement idea of internal martial arts where you you know twist your leg your body and your arm all at once kind of to get that whole body thing going and then those swings yeah. are really nice because you get some 
little ballistic movement. So you really loose arm swinging is a good way to get that feeling of like, oh, I don't have to like tense up to punch somebody. I can use my whole body weight behind a loose swing can be a very powerful way to hit somebody at close range too. So that's nice. And then the spine mm -hmm. part at the end is just a, a good spinal stretch. Each And it's sort of each of his Qigong sets has a spine piece to it. It's like each of them has a little spine thing. So the first one is just that stretch. But then as you go on, then you sort of, you do stretching up and down and then you do bending of the spine and then you do some twisting of the spine. Like, so each step of the way it's, it's progressive. So it's a pretty cool system. He's got five sets. So you work your way through the five sets mm. and each of them, you can, there's little threads that go between them all. So it's pretty well constructed. I, he kind of took everything he knew and boiled it down to these five sets. Mm. So they're, they're, you know, the, some of the movements are from specific, like the final one god's playing in the clouds is a set of its own but the others are are somewhat amalgamations of what he learned a lot you know traditional knowledge or whatever but he cut them up into chunks to make it progressive and easy for foreigners to study it's it, it works pretty well as a westerner it gives you a plan it gives you a process whereas a lot of times training in asian martial arts you just follow what the teacher says till you finally get there over the years but he found that people liked to have like a little plan or like a progression that gave them just like belts in jujitsu probably or something where you can see where you're going. You've got a plan mm -hmm. coming, you know, you've got a framework to view it rather than the old fashioned way of just like train, you either get it or you don't. And I don't know if, if having that progression actually makes you any better or not, but I just, <laughs> if you just followed your teacher's instructions and, and quit thinking, you'd probably do just as well, if not better, but it just keeps, you know, as it, there's just something about having a plan that that allows you to, for some people, it helps you stay on track and stay inspired because you know there's, you know, what's coming up. You know, that's important. Yeah, I mean, and also his his movements and, and systems don't seem that complicated, which is mm, quite they're nice. pretty boiled down. Yeah, yeah, and like, so they they look kind of achievable, if you know, like yeah, yeah, no, and he's got a, he is a pretty mystical dude, but like. The book itself is pretty straightforward. He's like, yeah. when I say whole body movement, I mean you slightly move your foot, leg, waist, body, arm. Like it's not a, it's not like you're zapped with energy. It's just you physically move some of this stuff. And when you try to feel inside yourself, it gets pretty esoteric. But I, you know, he's like, look, if you feel it, you feel it. If you don't, keep trying to feel it till you feel it. It's, it's pretty simple as that. You know, it's not like your uh, the, that meditative elements always a little he's one of the people who likes to have a real strong meditative chi side of it other yeah. chinese martial arts people do not and their martial art is every bit as effective so that you know i wrote that book uh ninja trend where i went around and visited people and tried to get their take on it and that was kind of my final the thing you know the final thing i learned was that every you could be doing it completely opposite from someone else and you could be every bit as effective and that's the <laughs> that's what drives people crazy about chinese martial arts because they're just you want you know you do it and it works and you're like well this must be the way well no it's it's an art form there are many different paths to many different goals so it's it's yeah. kind of a for someone like say if you're grown up here in america you know football has rules baseball has rules there is there is something official that everyone's trying to do Whereas Asian martial arts are such an open field, your grandma could be doing Tai Chi and someone else could be doing Tai Chi for full contact fighting. And they're both equally legitimate. And for mm. a, you know, a sports-based culture, that's really hard to get across and get into your head. This is not, some, you know, my experience in Nejia Chen was to say, there, we don't really have this in the West. 
we don't have this master disciple family base like this sort of it's interwoven with other stuff in a way that we don't really have in our our physical culture especially and i think in the 60s and 70s that's what drew people from the west to asian martial arts they said oh my goodness this this is something we don't have it's a need we have that we weren't fulfilling like if you didn't want to win every game then there's no sense for you to play baseball but like in asian martial arts there's all these other ways you can use the art to inform yourself to work on your body to work on your mind like and i think when that when that hit the west it was a you could just see the kung fu craze like people were loved this sense of richness in it the culture in it the not it's not just about winning x specific prize fight to get x specific payout it was like this had a I don't know there's a there's a richness to it that we were missing that we came rushing to get mm -hmm. and in our lifetime i think that kung fu craze has seems to be going downhill yes now that we have so many different movement options and now there's yoga and all this other stuff and mma for the guys who really want to fight don't have to go to kung fu anymore there's a place for them to just go straight to what they want so i think kung fu like it may have fulfilled its purpose in the west of like getting us to open our mind of how movement works and can work and can be culturally, historically, energetically, medically, you know, meditatively applied. And that sort of opened our eyes. And now it's just spread out in a million different ways. And, you know, Kung Fu is kind of like, hey, where where is everybody? But, <laughs> you know, I mean, it kind of did its job at the moment. And my sense is that it's sort of, you know, it's a little bit not, it's not, you know, at least around here, it's not the, once it was proven that it wasn't as deadly as everyone thought, yeah yeah it sort of took right. a little bit of a of a knockdown but it's i think you know, maybe doesn't it maybe 50 100 years it comes roaring back like that's chinese martial arts it it gets banned for a couple centuries and then pops back up you know you just can't keep them down they eventually uh <laughs> returns back to prominence <laughs> yeah it's taking a back seat in the culture definitely all, all the buzz is about the yeah the, the more you know the things you see on tv like right the, the, fight the, sports, the grappling yeah mma you know absolutely and rightfully so you know like that kung fu had its time in the sun and then the bubble got burst which as many people will say that was the best thing that could happen to kung fu now we got to look back at what we do and you can't just put up my martial art is devastating and deadly anymore like yeah that's right <laughs> so you have to look at what other things the art has to offer and hey it's it can be great for self-defense obviously and people use it for fight sports as well but there's all these other aspects to it that need to be developed and understood and 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 applied and that mm. freed us from having to be too deadly to spar now we can spar with everybody else anytime we want and it, and there's no pressure i don't have to use dim mock to kill every opponent like i just i can yeah, be a normal yeah. guy and and learn for, and lose a match and learn from that you know and i think that's important I've, and so i think that's fight sports revolution definitely shook up the kung fu world in a you know it, it had positive and negative effects but overall the health of kung fu realism is can't be a bad thing right like, no no it's right uh, but but equally i think there are the people are, i'm thinking about my teacher um you know he he trained in the 80s quite mm. intensively and, and you know he's, he's pretty damn deadly with his kung fu sure th there's not going to be more people like him you know mm. in the future that they'll they'll get people like him will be drawn to mma yes. and, yes stuff, like it's, that's where he would have gone and same with kumar he would have gone he yeah. just wanted the best thing he could get because he wanted to win and that as a yeah. young man that's all that he cared about and he with the people he ran across were were able to do that so he followed that but yeah you would be drawn into fight sports now and that's and that's how it should be that's that's how where you, you should go probably how did you 
meet um, Kumar and, and, and start um, training? Yeah, I mean, I guess that, you know, that goes back to when I started up. I did Aikido a lot as a kid uh, just because right. that was a class I randomly got into. So all through high school, I was doing that in college. And, if, you know, but I've always been like sort of a spirituality nerd. Like I was, did religious studies at school at uh, uh, university. And so I always had interest in Eastern philosophy and religion. I was always reading Lao Tzu and I Ching type stuff. So mm. I was like a prime candidate for Chinese martial arts. And uh, in the, you know, one day uh, in high school, there was a guy in the, in the park who was walking around in these circles doing these pretty cool ass looking moves. And having done Aikido, I looked at that and I said, wait a minute, there's something about that that it's got that same fluidity. It's got a lot of those same sort of swirling motions and footwork. I'm like, damn, that looks dope. And and uh, me and my friend went and talked to the guy, and he said it was all about I Ching. And I was like, boom. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, I'm built for this. Like, wait, you can yeah. use it to fight too? Oh, my God. Like, now mm -hmm. you could embody it instead of just – you could throw the coins and look at the stuff. But, but to physically do it and connect there was like – just, you know, man, I was a sucker for that. I, I just jumped right in. And so, you know, we learned he was a, he was a tight, he was a martial arts hippie um, type of guy. So, you know, I got to, he taught me Tai Chi and he taught me Bagua and uh, a little bit of Qigong, but I mostly just wanted to do martial arts with him. But it, it, you know, got me starting to thinking about body alignments and how to, you know, because doing Japanese martial arts, a lot of times you're moving really fast. You're throwing and getting up, throwing and getting up. There's not mm. a lot of talk about aligning your knee perfectly or, mm. or opening your hip ever so slightly. Or so when I got into Tai Chi, that really, you know, learn about like six harmonies or you know, all these connections and body alignments that Chinese martial arts does so well. And that really started to open my eyes to to how I wanted to move. Cause you know, I screwed up my knee and I hurt my elbow. So I knew I had, if I could change the way I was moving and fuse and sort of build that in, then I could, you know, potentially get a lot better and continue to practice as I got older and so on. So I could see the logic of Chinese martial arts and it was really inspiring, but I always had a problem. Like whenever I punched somebody, it didn't hurt them. <laughs> I, my punch would sort of, my arm would fold or, you know, I'd shove and I'd fall back. And I was just like, I'm not, you know, I was never really a sporting type guy. So I never had that physical strength of, or, you know, I never played sports where you knock anybody out of the way. So I didn't, mm. I just couldn't quite figure it out. I knew the movements and I knew some applications and push hands, but I, I just couldn't ever really seen, I knew this wasn't going to work if I actually tried to do it. Mm. And then one do one day a guy showed up at my teacher's house and he had this opening the energy gates book. And he had been living at Kumar's house as one of his sort of inside the house, like sort of house servant type of thing where you live with your teacher and do a bunch of busy work for him. And then, you yeah. know, hopefully you get some training while you're there as sort of a martial arts bum <laughs> living off your teacher and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and his wife's never loving that, but you know, you're, you're just always <laughs> lurking around, which is a time honored tradition, you know, in all Asian martial arts. And so he yeah. just showed up randomly and, um, he was also an Aikido guy. So we got to talking and then he was, he knew we were doing Bagua. And so he busted out this book and I, you know, I felt I was like, oh, man, it's right up my alley. Like, it's got great stories of masters. So there's mystical mm -hmm. masters in there that are hell inspiring. Mm -hmm. And the movement seemed straightforward. You know, like you said, they're fairly simple. You twist one way, you twist that way. And I was like, he seemed to have a good sense of there's a physical side to it. There's this energy side to it. And from the teachers he described in his life experience, he had tested it in sparring and fighting. And it seemed to work really well for him. So I was like. Maybe this guy could help me out. 
Mm. And, and so I knew that, you know, I wanted to go check him out at some point. And as you may recall, that was the era of the Bagua Journal. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I mean, the greatest publication ever for martial arts <laughs> at the time. I mean, I used to just wait at my mailbox every day, just waiting for that next issue. Just This is before first, the internet, wasn't it? Yeah, was yeah. You know, there was only thing there was was paper. There was a few shitty books. And my teacher's teacher had photocopied uh, uh, some old Chinese books, including one Bagua book, the uh, Sunji Kun one that's really cool. Um, you know, a genuine transmission of Bagua from somewhere in the 30s that has the swirly backgrounds. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. It's a really cool book. So I was always interested in more. And so Bagua Journal was just like water to a thirsty man. I was like, every issue, I just read over and over. And, I saw so many great guys like, you know, there's Park Bach Nam is in there and Lode Shoes in there and Vince Black is in there and like all these, you know, people that end up being kind of heroes of mine reading that. And I just, I was, you know, I'm up from up here in this Redwood region up in Northern California. There wasn't a lot of teachers here mm. and I needed to go somewhere more metropolitan if I was going to pursue this more. So I ended up getting a job down in the San Francisco Bay Area in my early 20s, which sort of was the end of my Aikido phase and moved down to the Bay Area in Oakland. And then I started looking up some of those people from Bagua Journal. So I was able to, you know, I found my way to Kumar's class and started going to his weekly classes. I also found a really interesting group called the Tang Shu Dao, the North American Tang Shu Dao. Mm. And the teacher here in the East Bay in Berkeley was Scott Jensen, who's a really cool dude, who's He's just, he's a little older than us. And he's, he went through the whole early eighties scene of Chinese martial arts. So he got to learn from a bunch of people around here, uh, innovative teacher, Peter Ralston, who sort of combined Tai Chi and Judo and, and, uh, and Shaolin to do his effortless power kind of thing. Mm. And, uh, Scott and went to his teacher, Wong Jack Mann, the guy who beat up Bruce Lee and here in Oakland and, so yeah, yeah. I, I got to learn from Scott for a while, a really great teacher, made a bunch of friends there. And they, at the time, they were representing the North American Tang Shu Dao, which is the, the Xing Yi school of Vince Black. And he's a really pioneering character, sort of like Kumar in the sense that he helped bring Asian martial arts, internal martial arts to the public in the, in the 80s and 90s. And I got to train with Vince a little bit, who's just, who was one of those classic, just like looked like a biker bar type of just street fighter type of guy who was just no nonsense and everything he did had so much power behind it and and great sensitivity and a great medicine teacher as well um so i got to into xing yi with those guys and that that started to open my now once i started working with them i started to get that idea of okay now when i punch somebody my arm doesn't like break when it makes contact <laughs> your arm stays connected and and it, it penetrates through the other guy rather than you breaking they break their their body structure breaks under that mm. so i got to do the tang shu dao curriculum um mm. and i don't know how familiar you are with that but it's they have a really long detailed list of things that they train so they have this is know, the stuff from taiwan right yeah, so this yeah. comes from Taiwan, from the lineage of Hong Yishang, the famous a teacher yeah. in Taipei. There is a sort of big, fat, syllabus, like, rough customer. It? Yeah, yeah, it's a syllabus, and he kind of based it on because mm. uh, Japan was like the, mm -hmm. the place to be then. So they based it on the, the sort of judo yeah. syllabus, didn't he? And added uniforms and stuff. And, yeah, it yeah, had the geese on. Yeah. yeah, you know, and so he, he in the sixties and seventies, he was able to attract a lot of customers that were in the karate craze. So they were wear the karate gear. 
and yeah. uh, and had a big open school with lots of foreigners came to train there. So his school spread out a lot. And one of his top students was this guy, Shu Hong Ji, who came to California and he traveled to other places as well and, and spread the word about Tang Shu Dao and Xing Yi. Um, and so that was Vince's teacher. And so that that school carries on that lineage and it's extensive. Their, their body conditioning is exceptional. You know, they've just got mm. an hour of just absolutely brutal groundwork of push-ups and body crawls and, you know, falling drills and just everything you can imagine just to torture you. And man, yeah. it, it makes you strong as hell, you know. It's kind durable. of the Japanese approach, isn't it? The, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of Chinese schools do it too, but maybe Chinese martial arts has more of a reputation of, you know, maybe drink a little tea and do some training and, you know, it's yeah, not, it's exactly. not that yeah. <laughs> militaristic, you know, approach. Yeah. But to actually doubt, they, they work hard as hell. And then they have a whole system of, you know, they supposedly mix Xing Yi and with uh, Shaolin to create these, what they call the Babu Da forms, mm. um, the eight step forms. So you learn a whole sequence of these eight step forms, which are, they're primitive and straightforward, and you just walk down the line doing sort of basic chops and swings and back fists, and and mm. there's a kicking one, and the, you know, and, and there's a two person one that matches up, and so you build yourself up with that. Then the second section is a whole section of Shaolin training, so you learn a bunch of traditional Shaolin forms and White Crane forms, some mm. of which come from Master Hung Shang, some from Master Shuangji trained with other teachers and brought them in. So you train through a two full pretty much years before you yeah. even start with Santi or any of the traditional yeah. Xing yeah. training. So the third level is the Xing Yi training and they incorporate the Tiangong, which if you know Gao style Bagua, it's these yeah. really low squatting- uh, Heavenly stems. Yogic type, yeah, the heavenly stems. They're kind of yogic, moving yoga kind of. Mm. They, they really work your hips and your torso. And so they incorporate that along with, now you start with the five elements and the, and the training like that and then move your way to classical Xing Yi. So you do a whole preparatory program. And that's what I went through for a couple of years with those guys. And it was just getting into the Xing Yi when, you know, I, I wasn't able to continue with that. You know, I, I always speak highly of their group because another aspect is that they have Chinese medicine interwoven with their school. Mm. So you have a whole group of people within the Tang Shu Dao who they learn the martial arts, but it's mostly for rehab. And for, you know, if your arm gets hurt, you swing a big sword until it's strong enough. And if you're leg gets hurt you do santi stepping and standing till it you know it strengthens it makes it better and they have a great tween system that uh vince was amazing with just the quick crack fixes that hmm. just you know scary as hell but you just it, it was just brilliant and very effective and the acupuncture they have a complete acupuncture system so they have a yearly gathering where everybody gets together for the sparring tournament and I was able to participate a couple times. So you don't really do a lot of free sparring throughout the year. You mm. do your training, you do some applications, but a lot of it's conditioning. I mean, most of what you do is conditioning, but once a year, they put you in a situation of stressful, you know, you hit finger gloves or regular mm. gloves or whatever, maybe shin pads, but it's, it's a kickboxing rules. Mm. Um, but for most of us who've never been in a real fight, like myself, like it was intimidating, like, holy shit, I'm gonna fight freestyle with this guy. like. And you're not, it, since it's not a fight sport, you're not used to what, how to yeah, sort yeah. of feel a person out, get things going. Yeah. You kind of just clash. Like, and so you, it mimics about what a street fight might be like. Hmm. It mimics that stress that, 
you know, and all sparring is going to be stressful, but if you're sparring in your Muay Thai class every week for years, it, you know, it's, yeah, it, it ain't no thing to you, back, right? Yeah. yeah. And now you can work on specifics within that. The way Tang Shidao does, it's like, oh my God, I don't know how, I don't know what this guy's going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. It just throws you in that. And I thought there's, there's some value to that because mm. um, you don't take it for granted. It, 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 it mimics that stressful intensity of unchoreographed sparring. And yeah. so that that woke me up. I was able to use some moves I had learned earlier. And, you know, one guy like pinned me in the corner. So I just spun around with my with the single palm change. And I turned my back to him. I spun so fast that I just chopped him right in the side of the head. And it totally worked. <laughs> and nice. uh, I was like, holy shit. Wow. You know, like, and so you get that sense of, whoa, one of my moves worked. I didn't know that was possible. And I got, mm. you know, I got nailed too. And I took a punch and I was like, okay, that hurt, but I'm still standing. You know, and so for someone who's never really fought, that was like really eye-opening. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I can take a punch and I can deliver a punch and I'm going to lose some and win some. But it, instead of, you know, in Aikido, there's no sparring allowed, right? Yeah, They're yeah. famous for being so passive. But underneath that is kind of a sense of, oh, God, maybe I really suck deep down. I've never insecurity, seen yeah. There's an insecurity there. Yeah. And when you go to an Aikido class, a lot of times the teacher has to be right because if you're wrong once the whole house of card comes down right yeah, yeah. without without that freestyle sparring as part of it you can never truly and i mean you never can truly know because sparring isn't fighting for your life obviously that's no. but at least but you'll have experience yeah you'll have experienced something that is like fighting for your life yeah but when it happens it's not a complete shock to you right because you've been there before right you, know, you felt idea. those adrenaline hormones rushing you know yeah. and yeah. and so i think there's a great value in that and but maybe it's not your, you know, in fight sports, you do it every day. But for martial arts, you may, you know, I've had teachers who said straight up, sparring's a waste of time. That's all it's going to do is give you bad habits. And there could be some truth to that. But that was a guy who had spent his whole life in a gang as a young man, <laughs> yeah. fighting with weapons on the streets, stabbing people and getting cut, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. sparring doesn't work for you. But like, I'm just a suburban yeah, yeah. bro. Like, I need, you know, sparring's about yeah, for the closest me, thing I useful. can get. <laughs> right so this guy survived world war ii and he's telling me i don't need sparring well you don't yeah and uh yeah. you know so for for the average joe something like freestyle sparring of whatever kind you can find you know preferably some sort of full contact so you get thumped you know that opened my eyes to how important that is and how i, I you don't need to be too scared you know most people you spar with are gonna you're not trying to win the ufc you're just trying to test yeah, yourself yeah. against equal level bros who are yeah, average yeah. guys like yourself so yeah. you know not, if you not get out against, class, you know, you're not fighting professional fighters right you know, no. that's that's a different level right, right? You know, I'm yeah not, it's like yeah. i'm not going to throw the football around with the nfl player i it doesn't that's not going to happen but you can play with other guys your level and you know and you can both learn a lot from it so that that helped me sort of orient myself to that coming from the back, aikido background yeah. but another thing that was wonderful about that sparring is there was a whole row of chinese medicine people who are boiling the dip da jiao and they've got all their needles all laid out and so you walk off after with a sparring injury right into their hands and they start you know if your our elbows dislocated they pop it right back mm. and i had gotten this huge lump purple lump on my shin from clashing shins and so i walked over to the medicine table and i'm like I i'm screwed up and they're like oh great come on over come on over and so like they just poured the hot dip dodge out of a huge bucket of it you know, like dip your leg in a bucket of dip dodge out <laughs> and then they got to the rubbing and and part of tweena is to rub out uh bruises and blood clots like that mm -hmm. and i just about screamed i mean that hurt so freaking bad <laughs> for like 
two or three minutes, that was just absolute agony. But then immediately afterward, it felt great. And, and the lump was gone and all that blood was spread out and broken up and like spread out mm. all along my shin instead of being concentrated. They'd you know broken it up, and within a couple of days, it was completely gone. Whereas yeah. if I had just left it there, it would have been you know maybe even a month of having this sore bruise. And so I thought that was genius. Like, what a great idea to have your medicine training at the same time as you're sparring. Yeah. Yeah. And like the people who spar don't have to do the medicine. The people who medicine, you know, or you can do both. And you know, I thought this Shu Hong Ji's idea, I think, and I thought there was some brilliance to that. You have it just creates such a center for for such. The, especially for Master Hong Yishang in the Tang Shu Dao school, he was a Twina guy, a, a body worker. So body yeah. work and Xing Yi are deeply fused together in that school. And uh, you use the Xing Yi as body rehabilitation and you know training from injuries. They, they'll prescribe specific sets or movements to do to help you. Um, and Tom Bissio has a lot of that in his book with the, the, the tooth from the tiger's mouth. Yeah. Um, it was going around for a long time. It's, it's that fusion of medicine herbs self-massage and physical movements that make a very holistic healing method that i i think is is brilliant and i think it's a wonderful contribution i think it's a great way to fuse the two together that maybe that you know it's hard to find it's 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 unique to the chinese martial arts culture mm. and uh I, I think it's super cool so you went from tang shu do straight to Kumar's stuff or was um yeah that was i was also training a bunch of stuff at this i was kind of getting into my zone to do that book so yes. i was visiting like every day after work i was pretty much like take a nap in my car get a cup of coffee and then go to a school because in the bay area i mean coming from a town of twelve thousand people i stepped into the bay greater bay area is probably eight million mm. so i mean i just looked in the phone book and there's 25 different aikido schools and there's just like within an hour or two's drive i could find any different type of martial art so i was in martial arts heaven like i was yeah. going to my i would go to a karate class and i get a free class because of course i was a broke martial arts bum so anybody with a free <laughs> class i was yeah. coming once and so i got to meet a bunch of cool aikido people and just you know i got to i went to just i don't know dragon kung fu wing chun chen tai chi wu tai chi yang tai chi white crane you know and and fight sports uh fairtex muay thai in, in san francisco was raging at the time like mm. you know muay thai was coming up mma was growing everywhere so i got to do some visiting there as well get a little experience you know on the ground which is not my area um but you know and during that visiting you know somewhere in there my boss said to me hey if you want to publish a book you know you can do a book about anything you want because i worked for a martial arts publisher and they did herbs and food and aliens and you know aromatherapy and they they did all kinds of crazy stuff so he's yeah. like hey if you want to do a book throw it in there and we'll publish it so i got to thinking you know inspired by bagua journal and the the way dan miller would in, he would interview different people and they would say different things from each other but he didn't feel the need to make everybody agree right like right you could just present hey this is how we see it and so I thought, I want to keep that going because Bagua Journal sort of ran out of steam a while before then. And I thought my book, I would see as kind of a sequel to it. I even visited a lot of the same people that he talked to and do sort of long form interviews and just try to just put everybody that I could find in one place to show that breadth of Chinese martial arts. Because I started off, you know, at the time, my brother had joined the Fairtex uh, Muay Thai group and I was messing around with Chinese martial arts. So we would get together and spar and 
that I mean the the kicking power he was getting from Muay Thai and the ring fighting. And you know, he used to love to troll me and just be like, oh, that Chinese shit's all fake, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I, that was part of my book too. I was like, okay, so if if this if everything I'm doing is fake, I'm gonna go talk to the masters and find out what they have to say and right. see. Because I can't argue. I mean, if I'm losing, then I better find out. And I could hold my own, but you know, this was the rise of MMA. So I'm like, let's let me talk to the old masters who've been through this. They've seen Chinese martial arts at its heights and lowest points and They've they've trained all their lives, so let's see what they have to say. So every one of them, I asked, "What do you think about sparring and sp sport fighting? How does that interact with Chinese martial arts?" Mm. And that ran the gamut from "It's a complete waste of time; don't ever bother doing it." To "It's essential; you must, you know, get in the ring with as many people from different styles as you can in order to test yourself." And and I could every time I'd interview one of these guys, I end up agreeing with the guy. I keep. I'm like, you know what? He's right. I probably is a waste of time. And then the next guy, I'm like, I'm rare. I got to get back in the ring, you know? <laughs> so, like, they're very persuasive. And and that's where I ended up in that position of, you know, Chinese martial arts does have these just extremes on both ends that's unique to, to the world of fighting, you know? Like, there's just so many yeah. different ways to, to get a, to be a part of it. I brought your book when it came out. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. A few years ago now. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I remember thinking at the time that I really loved the Tim Cartwell interview in it. Yeah, it Tim Cartwell, with, I think yeah. it starts with that, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I went in alphabetical order, just just to not yeah, uh, but I, step on any toes. My <laughs> problem was I loved his interview, and then the rest of them <laughs> sort of paled in comparison to me. Uh -huh. and I was kind of, I was kind of like, oh damn, he's put the he's put the best thing at the front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not everyone thinks that, but a lot of people do because no, I, I don't expect fantastic. You know, it's I mean, everything the... he says in there makes so much sense that like you can't help it. Like, here's a guy who was. What's awesome about Tim is like I went to visit him in Southern California, which I don't know if you've been, but has a reputation for being sort of the world of superficiality. It's like movie stars. Yeah. Yeah. You've got good your car is your identity kind of place because i'm from northern california we're the more thoughtful we read books uh it rains okay. it, you know so that's the i don't know if there's a there's a sort of a rivalry there or a you know a clash there where they're they're sort of you know all about the superficial or so on so you know tim carmel lives in this world of meatheads and athletes and the uh the the world of competition and mma and like you mm. do brazilian jiu-jitsu and mm. he's this slight person who's not very tall and he's not very thick mm. but and he's also as big a martial arts nerd as you've ever met like yeah. he's just like us he's read all those same books that we've read he knows all the terminology of all the meditative and energetic and you know the five gene like he knows that whole world deep down and he mastered that world he he got really good in that world and then he took that training with him into the world of the mainstream where yeah. people don't care about Jing Chi Shen and, you know, all these type of concepts that we're immersed in in Chinese martial arts. And he doesn't even bring it up. He doesn't. I mean, and he'll be doing stuff directly. He'll be doing takedowns and, you know, standing grappling directly from Baguan Xing Yi in his classes. And his students aren't don't care. They don't know. And it wouldn't matter yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah. And he's incorporated seamlessly, incorporated seamlessly into that world. I'm um, sort of like you do, and you bring those two sides together, and it works great. And they, they inform each other. You can learn a lot from Chinese martial arts about structure and balance and mind and um, energy and stuff that could help you in the world of grappling and sport fighting. 
Yeah, I mean, I was teaching a jiu-jitsu class with uh, the guy I was rolling with. I know he does Tai Chi, right? So mm. as we were doing, as we were, I was trying to, I was trying to get him to apply pressure to me, but also in a way that when you feel the pressure, you just change the angle slightly so mm. that it which is very like push hands right yeah right. I, yeah, yeah. I, I just suddenly started talking about push. i said look it's like push hands with your feet you gotta put your feet on them you press uh, up your uh-huh. feet on the hip so, as they press you just change the angles slightly you know and we were uh, and it, we just sort of i was got kind of halfway through this and i thought i've actually finally managed to mix tai chi and jiu-jitsu this has been this has been coming a long time, of time. <laughs> but it, like it's push hands of the feet you know right yeah i mean yeah. a lot of those objectives are similar of sensitivity awareness really being let the other person push you into the position you want to be like absolutely for yeah. ground grappling those are essential right yeah but no one in like but no one in jiu-jitsu talks about it using those terms just mm. that i know those terms and right you know it, it, but for me it's like jiu-jitsu just felt like the natural evolution of mm. tai chi you know i didn't mm. it, it didn't feel like i was giving it up and doing something right. different right right, right. your just, training is just continuing like my training is my training right and like right. sometimes i'm standing sometimes i'm on the floor it's right, like, right, right. Yeah. You know, just sort of follow through <laughs> yeah i think that makes sense i mean and you know and that gets into the whole question of like like i was talking about earlier of like fight sports versus traditional martial arts and Ever since the internet was invented, this has been a debate. And mm. you know, well, if it works so great, why aren't you in the UFC? Or you UFC meatheads will never be as deadly as us. And so, like, there's that clash. You know, the UFC helped solve that. Most people are over it now. But there remain. I I came up with a distinction that I created that I think, after all my sort of traveling and meeting and training, I came up with of uh, three different types of these of what we do. There's sport fighting in all its different realms where there's a prize you can win and a goal you can reach there's military and march and police where it's not about winning or it's not even about cardio it's about subduing uh someone or killing someone very directly like there's no mm-hmm. no mystical it's not something you necessarily train every day like a sport training you know you got to stay in shape for it's knowledge of how to hurt and kill and capture people and mm-hmm. and that's and that's a, th- a second type. Then there's the third thing, which is traditional martial arts, which had traditional Asian martial arts, which may exist in other cultures. I know it doesn't exist in my culture, but I've only observed it in Asian martial arts where there's history involved. There's meditation on some level. There's um, cultural values. There's fighting and sparring. There's physical training. There's energy. There's all these different things. And so I tried to create a Venn diagram. Those three circles all meet in a fight you can fight at any different rules any different styles those three groups can all fight if they want to fight each other they can that's where they meet but for mm. the most part they their own circles are their own worlds they the stuff a police officer does compared to what a bjj competitor does compared to what my grandma doing tai chi does are completely different worlds yeah but if those three people meet in a, a matted floor somewhere they can all spar each other and and learn from each other just settle on a rule set whether it's gloved or not or grappling or not and hey scrap go for it you there's so much to learn from each other in that environment mm. but aside from class and fighting together the the worlds are quite separate now i think you could create different bubbles like it doesn't have to just be three but that was the way i ended up trying to make myself make sense of it so that you don't have to argue whether tai chi works in ufc or not 
there it's like arguing whether you know me painting a picture is going to work in my i don't know driving a race car like they're just they they're just different worlds and mm. you know i mean it, it, maybe an audience could be the place that observes a race car and a and a painting anyways that's the analogy is falling apart but that was my three <laughs> circles venn diagram attempt to try and because the thing is if i meet someone who does sport fighting i could spar with them if and they might kick my ass but i know what they're doing they know what i'm doing like hmm. and if i meet a police officer who's got a killer joint lock hey i know a little joint locks too put it on me i want to try that out like so hmm. we can interact with each other and they a lot of things look similar but they do seem to me quite different worlds and that was confirmed when i when i was doing my book of of just the diversity and so many different things involved in chinese martial arts it's just a whole world of its own that people i think as as a foreigner as a westerner i just i want them all to make sense and it just doesn't you can't make chinese martial arts make sense no. they just every school has its own reason for existence and they don't all align and most don't so you've got to just accept that and accept it as an art form as opposed to a sport form or a war slash police well I don't know what you think about this idea, but there's there's quite a lot of evidence that these things weren't created as martial arts. They were actually mm. an art form. They were a mm. it was either a religious sort of mm. like spirit possession. And you are you even talking to Scott Phillips? <laughs> yes, we are. We are. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've met Scott a few times. Yeah, yeah. Me too. No, he's he's an interesting cat, and he yeah. brings up the point: religion and dance influence Chinese martial arts massively yes so does warfare and fighting and so does sport fighting there's been lay tie matches since anybody can remember so chinese mm -hmm. martial arts has those aspects as part of it but none of those things define it it has all those mission and so i don't know you know i just was like it, well that's it you, know, know. you just gotta throw your arms up i mean <laughs> yeah. the chinese culture is a little different than ours it's got a length to it and a depth to it that you know, at a literary record going back so far. And, you know, it's just, you got to accept it's a different gig. And that's part of why we as foreigners love it because it's something yeah. we just, there's something rad about it that we love and, and get addicted to. I, I want to say anything is older than living memory. It's mm. impossible to know what the original intent was. Sure. You know, but you have but written, all we've got is you know, traces of, of stuff. Yeah. 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 But what we, they actually what, did, who knows? What we do, so. what we do of it today mm -hmm. might be different to what they did with it 100 years ago. Sure. But the reality is it's what we do of it today that matters in a way and you there's know, a connection to that there's a thread that continues from then till now that i think is pretty cool i mean mm. sometimes threads are broken and then rebuilt but i i think there's that longevity to it that adds interest to to westerners who are very much forward-thinking culture of the new and the exciting there's some of us like that old-fashioned looking back to the past which you know is a so Asian culture has a real strong sense of affinity with the golden age of the past. And I think there's something to be learned from how the martial art has evolved over time and sort of those bits and pieces it picks up along the ways. And I don't know. I like the history. I like the old black and white pictures and funky old, yeah. you know, books that old calligraphy that are all scratchy, you know, like, and you're just hoping to find a secret in some old text. Like yeah. I'm a, you know, as a martial arts nerd, that's, that's something I'll always enjoy. But we still haven't got back to you meeting Kumo yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. You know, like I said, like uh, reading Bagua Journal turned me on to to all the different people I ended up meeting. And yeah, and Kumar is teaching nearby. So I, I went in to get involved with him, learned the Wu style Tai Chi from him, met, 
met a bunch of his students and uh, yeah that start in 99 i went to his wu style training and you know kumar's been teaching a long ass time and he's been a traveling mm. teacher since the 60s so he has students all pretty much all over the world but you know primarily in in europe uk usa he had schools in new york in the southwest in colorado new mexico california so he had built this sort of by the time i showed up there were probably 150 people at this training with all different levels of expertise. And there were people who had every bit as much, there were masters in their own right coming to this because mm. they, you know, Kumar has got a lot to teach and he's got a lot of charisma and they, it's not like they were unconfident in themselves, but they knew he had something that spiritual side to it that they wanted to dig more into and had known him as a younger man when, and, and respected his martial arts. So I got, it was a unique situation where you, Normally, there's just one master at any given event that you go yeah. to, right? Yeah. But at this, I was meeting people who had decades of experience and were doing push hands with me on the side and showing me stuff. So I was able to like interact with a ton of different people, which I thought was really cool. That's a that's a, a side of his school, um, especially at that time where there you know there were very competent martial artists coming to train, and so I was able to make friends with a lot of them who've been mentors to me ever since, and some of whom are as older, older as Kumar himself. And they were like, pretty, they were masters in their own right, like I said. So I got to, you know, train with a bunch of people, got into his ideas of, of uh, integrating movement with meditative type stuff. But I was, you know, and that was still at the stage of wanting to figure out how to make it work. So, you know, I was always the, whenever I, I was able to train with him and he had taught a weekly class and then summer retreat. So you know, I did his summer, I did his weekly classes for a couple of years until he quit doing that. And then I would do his summer retreat every, every summer yeah. for about 20 years. I was one of, as a young martial arts nerd, I started in the back of the room, but I, over, as over the first couple of years, I started moving forward and I met my friend yeah. Isaac, who had been a lifetime student of, of Kumar. So I got to, through him, sort of come to the front and start volunteering to be the dummy. Yeah, And so he would say, here's this martial arts move. I'd say, okay, I'm coming up. Just run up to the front and be the guy to take the hit. And that was a way that, you know, in Aikido, I learned early on that when the teacher demonstrates, it's you try to try to move your way to the front so you can be that person. You can experience it. And a lot of times it's painful. But mm. they usually stop before hurting you too bad. So it's the best way to learn is to be in the front, to, to take the hit and sometimes get in over your head but I, I learned that lesson in chinese martial arts always volunteer always be the one to to be the demo dummy and so from kumar i was able to just get absolutely thrashed within an inch of my life and he used it was one of the first times i felt someone using these sort of soft power right and really impressed me with his ability to apply because a lot of us, we learn some Tai Chi and some soft movement, but then when it comes to a clash, we just, you know, tense up and just start swinging <laughs> as hard as we can. Like that's only natural, right? Yeah, yeah. But what he did was so fluid and so liquid and so soft and, and he was able to just hit with just so much force from such zero range with such easy, uh, natural, you would just say intuitive motion. So everything mm. I did, he could catch in a net and then just bring it swinging back like a hammer and man he just gave me a beating and since i was aikido guy i knew how to take falls mm. you get real good at, at getting beat up in aikido mm. which is great 
because then in Chinese martial arts, you can just, the teachers love it because they know he could just yeah. slam me on the floor and I could take that fall and put a wrist lock and I'll go along with it. In Aikido, you let your teacher look good too. And so that always helps in yeah. Chinese martial arts. You're not, you're not stiff arming, trying to prove him wrong. You just you go don't fight him back. <laughs> yeah, you don't fight back. And so, you know, what teacher doesn't love that? They're all, oh, great. Yeah, you're, you're making him up here and, you know, you're going to make me look good. So I've always, you know, used that to my advantage in every class I visited so that I could get a little of that hand to hand with the teacher and give them face and let them succeed. But man, it, it opened my eyes to like soft power, like those swings, that ability to just turn from your core and then the whole rest of your body comes swinging out and, you know, a 50, 40 pound arm swinging yeah. loose off somebody can hit like an iron bar. I mean, and yeah. it just, you know, I realized that tension wasn't the only way to create power. Now tension and, you know, Lee clumsy strength works great. You can knock somebody out with one punch that way, but that fluid power, that liquid power, when you encounter something blocking you, sometimes you can wrap around it. You can mm. respond more, more intuitively without thinking. You don't have to remember a combination because your body kind of, and some people will call that the cheat. Your body is gets a sense of what the other person's energy and finds the holes in their defense sort of intuitively. And I could see that some of this Tai Chi and Xing Yi type stuff had that element of of really stillness of mind that let you use that fluidity to your advantage. Now it's not easy to get soft power is hard. You start with just letting your arms sink over and over, let it flop, let mm -hmm. it flop. And then someone, you know, you drop onto someone's hand. You don't do much. Your arm feels weak. You have to make yourself weaker to eventually become stronger. And most people don't want to go through that. It's mm -hmm. not fun. It sucks because you're losing all the time. And, you know, Chang Man Chang always said invest in loss because then you'll you'll get something out of that in the long run and i and i did i was able to especially with my friend isaac who's like my mentor and teacher in that school he and i you know we're the same age as you and like it's had some a lot of the similar experiences mm -hmm. but he had he had been with kumar since a teenager so he had he hadn't trained with anyone else so all he had was that soft power now he never even took a karate class as a kid or whatever so he he was able to help me kind of follow that process and just let me whack him over and over and just try to get that swinging power um without and then be able to get hit without tensing up to take a slap without like your eyes bugging out and yeah, your yeah. shoulders tensing you got to learn that you got to let the let those hits ro you roll with those hits you let your body absorb them you let your energy doesn't freeze up and create this like tense up your belly because you got hit mm. you you, you got to soothe yourself over and over so we went through that process and and that soft power that Kumar has was definitely something that I found very valuable and pursued for a long time. And um, I mean, like I said, it, hard power works great, too. But soft power is is a worthy pursuit that I mean, I guess the downside of soft power is it, it burns less calories, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> and it, I guess in, in old China, that was probably a good thing because you might yeah. be living on a few rice balls per day. So less calories is great. You know, it's a. But for, you know, my problem is having a lot of calories around. So in the modern world, we have too many. So yeah, that may be exactly. the downside of internal martial arts. I might be able to, you know, knock you out with just one move. But, you know, doing a Tai Chi form probably burns 20 calories, whereas you could do that same time doing yoga. You could be rocking a hot beach body by the time, you know, you get good <laughs> at yoga. Whereas if you're doing Tai Chi, hey, man, you, you could get as good as Tai Chi as you want. It's just not going to do you for cardio. Yeah, more more mass is not a bad thing in Tai Chi, is it? That's right, like, exactly. Yeah, because it's more weight. If you, right, when you're swinging your arm, it's, exactly. It's heavier. That's heavier that swing. 
but then again, a light person, their arm might be 20 pounds, but Hey, if you hit someone with a 20 pound brick, exactly. you know, that's yeah. good. If that hits you in the head from the side, you, yeah. I mean, even 10 pounds, like it just goes to show you can really harness that body weight with soft power. Uh, just that falling, just free fall feeling can, can be a, a great way to create flexible power. It lets you change quickly rather than, you know, hard force. Sometimes you have to reset each time to fire it off. So anyways, that, that's what really what impressed me about his school. So I was able to pursue his Qigong. Um, and at a certain point, he greeted teach us Xing Yi. So we went through his Xing Yi process, his teacher in Beijing. Master Liu had his way of doing it. He showed us the ways he learned from Master Hong Yishang and from Master Wang Shijin as well. And each of them had it. So like one of them steps through to do like Master Liu would do his bung trend by taking a full step with each bung trend. Yeah. Master Hong would just take a half step each time. Um, and, and master Wong, his half step was, was done slightly differently. So we got to see from him the different, you know, different Xing Yi schools approach, but pretty much Hubei Xing Yi in the long run all looks pretty much the same, but he, he took us through that. And he also has a lot of, uh, meditative stuff you do in Santi. So you really try to feel the five elements on a visceral level. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing metal element, you engage with your spine and with your lungs, which are the metal element of the five elements theory. When you're doing fire palm, you're, I mean, fire fist in Xing Yi, you're engaging with the heart and you're, you're bringing a sense of fire into your body. So he has a bunch of exercises where you physically, literally manifest those feelings, which not everybody does it that way, but he does that way and it's pretty cool. I like it. You know, I think it's, a, it can be effective that way. Um, and his santi is a ton of negong involved. So you're standing in this posture and you're relaxing one joint at a time through for days of grueling, you know, <laughs> working your way through inch at a time. And it's torture, but hey, it really helps get your mind in your body. It really, you know, you do the you do some breathing exercise where you breathe into the distance and back. So you're using your mm -hmm. mind and in a calm like. You know, and you're going through one vertebrae at a time, right? Breathe into this vertebrae, then the next vertebrae. So he has a very meticulous, long, slow, there's a lot of talking involved where he's just lecturing while you're standing there sweating. Yeah. Um, you know, not every school does that way. A lot of schools, you just start out standing for a while with no instructions till you sort of get it by yourself. And that works mm. too. Mm. Um, but his way, you know, it's it, it's good for the intellectual. And I think especially for those of us who are, you know, uh, mind people who like to Curious think people, yeah. it gives you a lot of bubble gum to chew and it gives you a lot of <laughs> thoughts to think. And, you know, in the long run, if you're training, you know, go for it. It, it. Whatever it does to get you out to train. Yeah. And I think for some people having all of those different elements and those those in-depth explanations help you get inspired to train. For some people, they don't want to hear all that crap. They just want to get out there and do it. And that, that works too. I'm a bit more towards that end of the spectrum, I think, mm -hmm. and then, then the, the sit down and talk. I've always, yeah. I've always got frustrated <laughs> with the, if the lecture goes on too long, my feet get itchy and I start right? dancing yeah. around. And then I'm just like, can we just get on with it now? Because I mean, what's like, great about Kumar is he doesn't care if you just, he doesn't care if you go in the back and just practice. So right. like, you know, you'll see the people who are seniors in his school, well, he'll start a talking and we just go in the back and just start, <laughs> start, start moving. Because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like, nice. you know, A, you've heard it all before and B, you know, it's just, you don't have to sit there. He has a pretty informal class. So I think people will come in sort of wanting to be traditional and like sit there stock frozen. But when you get comfortable in his school, you can train while, you know, the the lecturing can be a bit much because 
that's again, that's his thing. He really wants to just go in depth and give you every freaking possible concept you can possibly choke on. And, mm. you know, that can be good at times in your training. And there's other times when you just want to grind and get, get working. And that's, so that's important. Out of the three arts, Tai Chi, Shingi, Bagua, which one is you? Or is it all? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I've been lucky enough to train all three. I think, uh, you know, I think uh, I think that that Aikido I had when I saw Bagua really fell in love with it. And then that was the first one I really learned pretty well that that I it just worked for me pretty well. And then when I went, you know, I, I left home to go pursue martial arts and I kept looking for Xing Yi, but it was hard to find. I found it at yeah. Tang Dao. But awesome. most people were not. I was. I kept finding Bagua teachers. I would run into people who do Bagua, and so I was like, maybe the universe is telling me I need to. You know, Bagua might be my thing because I just keep running into teachers who keep showing me killer stuff. And the and Shingy, I eventually did find, and I got I got to do some real quality time learning it and really informed. I, I and but then again, without without Tai Chi's insane slow focus on body alignments and mechanics. I feel like I wouldn't have been able to get as far in the other ones, right? Because, mm. you know, that there's something about that Tai Chi meticulous just sensation of all the different ways, like getting all your knees and your elbows and your hips all straightened and connected well really informs you. And then you get that power training in Xing Yi that is so straightforward and just like you're a rolling ball knocking them out of the way. That, again, so I think there is something brilliant about the three of them and the way they inform each other that, you know, these guys yeah. in the 20s in Shanghai and Beijing, they were they were creating these relationships and bringing the schools together. And I think yeah. there's something brilliant about it because each of them share qualities, but each of them has a quality they do better than the others that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think you, if you do all three, you'll never quite get as good at any one of them. That's the sacrifice you have to make basically. Yes. But as a yeah. martial artist, there's, there's something really powerful about getting basic training in all three that that informs the others so there's something oh, really great yeah. about that if you ask me so um what's next for you is the podcast going to continue for a good while oh yeah yeah we're, we were having fun with it you know i mean i we figure we'll do it as long as we feel like we have something interesting to say so you know we did a set we we took we we've always been interested in in kumar's last teacher this guy leo hung jay if you look in the power of internal martial arts book mm. he does a lot of biographies and this guy was he's born in 1904 real right after the boxer rebellion and he's yeah. born during Qing dynasty the end of the Qing dynasty so this guy and he lives till 1983 mm. so he's or 1983 yeah somewhere around there so he lives through all these different eras of chinese history yeah. you know he lives through the warlord period the early the early uh, republic you know like mm. so he's this really interesting character to me because he's he was he was standing there during a lot of the things that happened Right. And he happened, you know, he was from a wealthy family. So he was able to get in with this Bagua group. And he met some of the guys that were, that I was reading in Bagua Journal were these famous names of, you know, Cheng Yulong, the son of Cheng Tinghua, was, was an elderly guy that he bowed to as a teenager. Right. So he's got this connection to someone who learned before, you know, in the 1800s. Like, yeah, yeah. So, and he, in the, in the back of that book, he gave Kumar a list of uh, his teachers and the, and the lineage of the teachers. So in our second season, we decided, okay, what we'll do is we'll track and, and look up all the information in English that we can find about each one of these guys that Master Leo lists. Right. So he talks about Cheng Yulong and Leo Daquan, the guy who created the 64 uh, straight line forms. 
Um, and he talks about uh, he talks about his Xingyi teacher, Iron Arms Lee, who was a uh, the student direct student of Yin Fu. And so, what we did is we went and looked up all you know. Bagua Journal was you know inspired us because a lot of those mm. bios are in there that Tim mm. helped translate, um, that Dan found and and put in the journal. And then there's books have been published in English since then, and English and also articles online. So our whole second season was about looking up masters of Xingyi and Bagua. And so we did like you know eight episodes on Dong Ai Chuan and just trying to find any story we could find, any, especially fight stories, even though there's not very many. They're mostly stories about Dong Ai Chuan, the founder of Bagua, are primarily meditation stories. Like a lot <laughs> of them start off with him dozing off in a chair, you know, like <laughs> interesting. Or he's a waiter, you know, and all this stuff. Like there's all these just weird bits and pieces. And we went in Sun Ludong's book. He mentions Cheng Tinghua a number of times in there that I sort of glazed over when I read it earlier. So we took out some chunks and we said, well, what exactly is he saying here? What what was the advice that Cheng Tinghua gave him directly to his face? Like, I, you know, I, I'm curious. Let's let's dig into that. So we did Xing Yi and Bagua Masters in that. And then this third season, we've been um, we decided to go with the Tai Chi lineage of Liu Hong Jie. Mm. And again, like I worked in martial arts book publishing, so I've got a big collection of books. So I just took down everything I could find off the shelf that mentioned, say, the Wu style founder, Wu Jianchen. And so if I find a paragraph about him, we we would use that in the podcast and like and compare how different different bios spoke about him and what he was good at and different different schools mentioned different stuff. So again, using that, letting the words speak for themselves, and then we throw in our two cents, what we think, which yeah. you know you can take or leave, but it's just sort of the springboard for really using the literature in English, again, which is only a fraction of what's available in Chinese. Um, and then we worked our way through some, some Tai Chi classics and stuff that was pretty cool that, you know, I've read over the years, but, and, you know, I, I feel like I knew, but then we went one sentence at a time and really dug in. And that was, that was really fun. Cause like things I just, you know, like, again, you gloss through the 13 songs or whatever, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it all before. But when we went through it one by one, it was fun to like really come, you know, and say, do, am I embodying any of these principles? What, how do I do this? Am I actually doing any of this? Yeah, you know? yeah. We've been having fun with that. And then we've got a, uh, a fourth season in the works. That'll be, that'll hopefully be of interest to people, but you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback. People enjoy it. You know, what I didn't want to do was have like just a bland podcast of like, how do you be faster in martial arts or how do like general, <laughs> how do yeah, I yeah. kick? You know, I wanted to get specific. What did, master x y or z say about x y or z you know i want names i want dates i want who won this match you know i don't want to just have another podcast about well how do i do a more effective wrist lock like which mm. is cool and all <laughs> but it just i want it seemed kind of bland i just wanted to like get down and dirty like exactly who said exactly what and uh put it to the test is it real you know did it work or not like so mm. we've been having fun with that and we've you know we're we're good friends so we've been like i said we we've, we've been talking about this stuff for years together so we've we've got some some key points that we want to talk about and develop and so it's been fun it's a, and it's you know covid and stuff we weren't able to hang out as much so it's been nice to have keep my friendship and yeah, uh, yeah. going by you know this podcast stuff has been a way to just keep in touch and we've been interviewing other teachers like like you've been doing as well and and uh, old friends who have good stories from the old days that have been fun to record and kind of, and we focus it mostly on Kumar school because that's the, what the two of us have done together. But, you know, we'll be, we'll be branching out into other areas that, that we have some knowledge of that, that, uh, that'll be fun to explore. And, um, I don't know. We just, and we wanted to interview some older folks to try and preserve some of that sense of 
what was Taiwan like in the seventies? You know, what was, what was the New York martial arts scene in 1966? You know, like, and some of these guys are, um, these sort of boomers. We wanted to like, you know, get them on the record. Cause they, we don't have forever, you know, and shit. I just yeah. turned, you know, we're 50 now, man. Like whoever saw that coming, <laughs> I know. Well, how what did happened? we become seniors? Like you just <laughs> don't quit. If you don't quit, you end up being on the one of the few people left, you know, like there were all these more qualified people when I started, but most of them found something better to do along the way. And, you know, here I am still doing it. And by default, you end up, you, who else are you going to talk to? So, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm this middle-aged guy. I mean, man, yeah. the 80s seem like a long time ago now. Yeah. That, that world that we came up with. And I, and one thing it was like, I felt like there was some of us back then who are Gen Xers who were fiending for this knowledge. Like, I would go to sleep thinking about internal martial arts and I would wake up thinking about, I could, I wanted any bit or piece I could get my hands on. And those bros are hard to find now. I think there's so many mm. other options. And, and even if you, if you were that, if you did have that burning thirst for knowledge, all you need to do is sit there on YouTube watching shit all day. You don't even have to interact with anyone and you could fulfill that need for knowledge. Yeah, I know. You it know, was so different, wasn't it? When yeah, to get the knowledge, you had to ask someone to their face, and then I, you had to you go to. Up. You had to. What you had to do is go to a city, find the alternative bookstore, mm -hmm. look on the notice board. There you go. For yeah. Adverts for martial arts classes. Tai Chi poster. You go, oh my god! Yeah. Look, there's a Wing Chun class or something, and the great like, community you, bulletin board would have. Yeah, that and you'd geek. phone the guy up, and and you don't actually have to talk to him on the phone. And sometimes I remember I phoned one guy up, and he talked to me for an hour. <laughs> And I, I, and you can't be doing this for everyone who phones you up because this is crazy. You know, it's a very lonely people in the martial arts world. Yeah, I think he did. I think anyone who yes. phoned him up, it was almost like it was a test. He, he just started. He described the location of his school in such minute detail that it took twenty minutes. And I think it was a test to see if you'd give up and just put the phone down. <laughs> you, need, you need to be able to persevere. Yeah, but these days you just go on the web and you go, okay, yeah. YouTube. Uh, what we what we're looking at today? Okay, so we're looking at uh, hawk forms in Shingi. Let's go and yeah, find oh ten. Yeah, oh my god, there yeah, you go all day. Ten. There's ten. Like, yeah. I mean, there's twenty. You, you look if you saw one of those things in twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and so I think intellectually it's easy to to fulfill that desire. Too easy, because if yeah. I had been able to quench my desire for internal martial arts just by watching shit on the YouTube, I would have probably done that. And then I never yeah. would have met all these amazing people that I met, and and you're and all the uncomfortable moments of walking into somebody's class that you don't know that you've never been to, and you know all the potentials for ego clashes and yeah, you know, I mean, feelings they, they, like they might just freak out and punch you, like right? <laughs> I mean, they usually don't, but that's they usually don't. That's, but, the, yeah. that's that's what you know. It just it takes guts to walk into a new martial art with nobody you know in there. Put your ego on the line. They may make a fool of you. You know, like, so I, and that was good for me though. That got me out of my shell. I went out and visited people and I, I took my lumps in the process. And, and, you know, one thing I did learn along the way is like the physical injuries of, of clashing in martial arts aren't as bad as the emotional ones. Like mm. you can, there's been times where I thought I was losing. So I cut loose and I, I punched someone way harder than I meant to. You know, and and I, I there, that was twenty years ago. I'm still that memory still pops still up. Feel where bad about it. My right? ego boiled up, and I had to get this guy, and and yeah. I regretted it ever since. You know, I was just like, what the fuck? That that just showed how insecure I was. You know, and mm. 
and so I, I think the emotional side of of conflicting and sparring and and doing techniques, there's so much room to to feel bad that. It, but it's good for you to face that. It's good to go up against that. Ninety nine percent of the time, you're going to walk away friends, and it's going to be cool. Yeah. But making it, it just it puts and the same thing goes in fight sports too. You go to a new jiu jitsu gym. Hey, you walk in with your purple belt on. I mean, or what are you going to wear white belts? But they they see you're good. So you, yeah, yeah, you know, right from the start, you've got to you, you got to dig deep and like, hey, I'm making myself vulnerable. You know. Yeah, I did. Um... I, will, I will learn from you. Last weekend I did that. I went to you a did? Yeah. yeah, I went to a meetup of over 40 jiu-jitsu people. Uh -huh. as, in, as not 40, as in the age 40. Um, okay. But exactly. it was a new it was at a different school. I had been to that school like ages ago, once or twice, but um it was a load of people. I didn't know anyone yeah. at all, you know. Yeah. And and then I got there and the, and the, the guy had said, uh, uh Graham, do you mind teaching? And so I, I, I had to teach in front of a, a room full of people I didn't know. And they're all experienced. You know, and they you know, were, know what they're doing. Because they're over 40, they're all mega experienced. Yeah. There's, there's, there's like one white guy. belt. Everyone else was a colored belt. And there right. were like four black belts. Uh, and one of the black belts had three stripes, which means no, he'd been doing it. He'd been a black belt for about 15 years, you know. Right. So, yeah, it, it was a bit daunting. But, uh, I, you know, what I thought. I'm just going to do it. And yeah. I just did it. And it was fine. People were cool. Yeah. And then people, people were cool. saying, it was fine. saying great yeah. job, you know, like, and, and so uh, the martial arts world is actually a wonderful place full of like super great people. And, you know, I, it's, you just, you have to make it over that hump. I, I was lucky when I got to the Bay area with some friends, we established a, a sparring group that met on Sunday nights. Mm. And in that process, you know, it's the shittiest time to, to set aside. Right. And, and it's the one time, nobody like you got to leave your family at 7 yeah. p.m on <laughs> sunday night to go to do this but we were young so we could do this and we invited everybody we could find and nobody came who was like great you know we were just all average guys but i got to fight uh, you know we got to put on gloves and just spar with so many different people everything from you know white eyebrow to karate to shotokan to ishinru to taekwondo to capoeira to chinese martial arts of all kinds guys who did some mma and even you know contact improv was was one dude who showed up and we <laughs> we got to and it was such a great experience and most everybody was super cool and like yeah we we never really had a single you know maybe a few injuries along the way but not the praying mantis guy did injure somebody just because mm. his dim mock was just so strong just a weird random kick but you know but overall we everybody was cool we all got to know each other some people only came once some of us came for years but mm -hmm. when you have a great group like that, it just it just took me so much out of that worry of like I'm I'm not deadly enough. Like it was just like no, we can all just fight at the same level, and I gave me respect for sport fighters who spend eight hours a day training. I'm not yeah. planning to be one of those guys, and I don't yeah, have to be in that category. It's a different I'm level in my own of category, yeah. And that's not something I need to be ashamed of. Where back in 1960, if you were a karate master, you're going to knock out a you know, a professional sports athlete with one punch. That was the expectation, right? Like mm. it, nowadays we can be more realistic. We can be normal. We don't have to have this hanging over us, this, the sense that, you know, it's, it's invincible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the a deadly angle.
you know, so that's why I, I took the word devastating out of my vocabulary. I'm just like, I, I'm not going to call it devastating. I'm going to say <laughs> effective, used to all the time, you know? didn't it? Yeah, could we just say effective? That's, yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. I remember the times when bag was always described as devastating. Oh, <laughs> devastating, invincible, I, you know, and it's just... I see these guys walk around in circles and you think, that's devastating? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, when, you know, and it took me a while to find some guys who were devastating and I'm like, okay, yeah. now I see what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, some of them are devastating, but right. You know. I mean, if someone's gonna throw you and bounce your head off the pavement, yeah, that's pretty devastating, you know. And yeah, but, but again, so, it's, like it's there's so no need nice to that, that hype, can, you know. Yeah, if you can just drop the hype, it's so much yeah. for everyone. And if it? you're good at any of these things, even if it looks absurd, you're gonna get your hands full. I've seen hmm. Chinese martial artists whose alignments were completely wrong, who whose stepping was completely wrong, whose form was stiff and uncoordinated. And when you put your hands on them, they're like, next thing you know, they're choking yeah. you out. Like, so yeah. you just, you can't, you can't, your styles require, so when you get on Facebook and someone says, I don't see any Bagua in that. Well, bro, when it get when you start scrapping and scrambling and fighting somebody, it does, it's not going to look good. It, no, it doesn't no. look like Jet Li. I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> but it's, it, you may have done some Tai Chi that informs what you're doing. That gave you a little extra calm. That allowed you to shift a little more subtly that could inform your whole approach to fighting it doesn't may not look anything like the movements of tai chi but the teachings of it informed what you do like you were doing in your grappling like you're not doing high pat the horse but yeah. those those principles of awareness and and smoothness and calmness that those are can inform anything that you do mm. whether fighting or life or in general so you know i mean I think that's the beauty of where we are now. Chinese martial arts, we can be more realistic and we can see how it informs all the different parts of your life without it being this deadly thing that is just the most invincible thing on the planet. So you have to walk around scared that someone's going to try to test you and make you prove that, you know, you can just, you can just be you. It's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. Well, <laughs> I don't want to eat up too much of your morning, but um, yeah. that was a great conversation. Thank you. Uh, For sure, bro. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, anytime. I I love talking about martial arts. You know how it is. You get a couple of us together, and next thing you know, you're. <laughs> I feel like we should have some beers, the... though. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. right. We need. Yeah. If we have well, some beers. It'll be better. <laughs> I mean, if you if you're passing through Northern Cal, you know, I'm often in the Bay Area, so it'd be great to get together and chat sometime. And I I've been to the Bay Area. But I've been to San Francisco three times. Um, yeah. But it was a while ago now. Yeah. Um, family life makes the uh, uh, impromptu yeah, visits life a lot harder. I haven't been yeah. to the UK in 20 years now because it's just you. I'd have to buy four tickets, you know. It's just that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've still got the slim chance that my my work will get me uh, over through the US, but it might. Yeah. End up, it's more likely to be New York these days than San Francisco, yeah. probably. Yeah, our yeah. office well, has moved cool. there. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, that's work is the way I've been able to travel. That's that's how I was able to get around and meet meet people and just when every town you're in there's always a martial arts the chinese martial arts school or yeah. brazilian jiu-jitsu is the same like there's always gonna be a somebody there then over the years now that i'm old i know more people who know people <laughs> and so i'm well there's yeah. always a friend of a friend in every town i go to that i can drop by their class and and yeah. participate and you know it's just uh, lifelong friendships and keep and keeps you off the streets you know chinese martial arts just you've got when the, when the, everyone's going out drinking, hey, I'm like, I, I still have my practice to do, bro. So maybe I'll meet you guys there. But I got <laughs> I got a plan. I got my training. I, I have a – it gives your life a center. 
Yeah, and yeah. you know, everyone needs a center. It, there may be better centers, maybe like <laughs> focusing on the stock market. I could have put all this time into that and be rich, but I'd rather do this because it's like it fulfills you on a. Uh, it gives you friends to train with. It gives you physical stuff to do. Keeps you in shape and keeps your joints mobile. I mean, and it mm. and it's fun. You can and I keep looking at the history and the research. That keeps me busy too. It gives me something to do. Like I don't know. I couldn't imagine life without uh, Chinese martial arts as my as my hobby because it's just you know there's always something more to do and some more fun to be had. Well, that's a great message to end on. <laughs> Right on, bro. <laughs> right, thanks. Uh, thanks, Jason. Hey, great talking to you, Graham. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Appreciate Man, if it. you're over here, look yeah. me up. And if I'm ever over there, I'll let you up. For sure, bro. You can find out more about the Tai Chi Notebook podcast at www.thetaichinotebook.com.